All right, we are in week three of a series called Incredible Women. Uh, I've talked about this. I've talked about this each week. Um, it's easy to see if we have our eyes open. Let me just say we, um, as men, it is easy for us as men if we will have our eyes open um, to see that through history, women have often not been seen or treated the same as we have. Um, women often have had to overcome so much and, and still do. Um, and, and so it was true in the, the stories in the scriptures. It was true that often the way women were seen or perceived or treated were unfair and not the same as men were treated. And so week one, we looked at a woman named Rahab, who because I believe of other people's decisions, she found herself in the life of a prostitute. Uh, but yet in, in that, she was seeking and believing and hoping for a different kind of future. And, and God rescues Rahab along with her family. And then last week we started, we looked at Ruth. And, and we're looking at the story of Ruth, but it also is a story of her, her mother-in-law, Naomi, and the, the circumstances and the situations they find themselves in. And things are not going well for them. Uh, if you were here a couple years ago, I, I posted a picture of myself changing light bulbs in the gym. Uh, just in case you weren't here, let me just refresh your memory of how horrible this is. Uh, go ahead and put that up. Um, yeah, if you can't tell, I'm on a rail that may or may not be really secure. And so I, I climb up there because that's the only way to try and change light bulbs in the, the ceiling. Well, I don't like doing it because I'm afraid of heights. And so the other day I walked in and there's like six light bulbs that are out. And I thought, okay, I should probably get up there and change light bulbs. And so I'm up there and uh, a lady and um, a couple ladies and kids walk in and like, whoa, is that safe? And I thought in my mind, no, it's not. It's not safe at all. But my response was, well, what's the worst that can happen, right? And then I began to think as I'm standing up there, there's a lot of bad things that could, that could happen. And I think there's two reasons you could say that term in your own life. One is because you've kind of lost hope. I mean, what's the worst that can happen? And, and I think that, that maybe this is where Naomi and, and Ruth find themselves. Well, life has been difficult. If you missed last week, it's online. You can, you can listen to it. You can watch it. But Naomi has a couple of sons and her husband. They're living in a place where famine comes. They decide to leave their home and go to Moab, which was a place that they weren't really supposed to travel to. Uh, but the father says, man, we, we need to find food. And so maybe it's a lack of trust. Maybe it's a, I've got to do whatever I can do. But he finds himself in Moab with his wife and two boys, and not long after getting there, he dies. Elimelech, the dad, dies. So now Naomi is left with her two sons in a foreign country, and I talked about how Naomi at this point, as a widow, would have a life of poverty in front of her. She would have been overlooked, not probably taken care of, and, and she would have been completely alone. Well, she has her two boys, so at least there's someone in the family to help her, and they married two Moabite women, Orpah and, Na and Ruth. Well, the two boys, within 10 years of moving, they both die as well. Naomi now, in a foreign land, have, has lost her two sons and her husband, and now is responsible for these two widowed women, her daughter-in-laws. Well, she's there, and she finds out that food has come back into 
their land. And so she decides to, to head back and she makes the journey back. And, and along the way, she thinks, man, Orpah, Ruth, you should not go with me. Your future does not look well. It is a future of being a widow. It's a future of uh, no children. There is no hope for you if you come back with me. And Orpah is like, okay, I'm, thanks for giving me the offer. I'm going to go ahead and go back. Ruth says, no, 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 I'm, I'm going with you. They have this discussion, but Ruth has this statement that is one of the most well-known in the book of Ruth, where she says, where you go, I'm going. Your people are going to be my people. Your God is going to be my God. See, Ruth in Moab would have worshipped other gods. There weren't a lot of rules. It was do whatever you want to do. Do what makes you happy. It is your world. That was how she had grown up, and that's what she had known. But she had seen something in Naomi where she says, I'm going to stick with you. I see the grief that you're experiencing, and I'm going to go with, with you. We talked a little bit last week and, and just wanted you to see that grief has no timeline. There's no next steps when it comes to grief, right? And so where Naomi is at is a life of grief right now. And Ruth says, I'm going to stay with you. Ruth is grieving herself, but she says, we are going to stay together. See, this wasn't the life that either one of them expected. This wasn't on their dream board, right? Th this is just something that happened that they had no say over, and they have to respond to it. And as I said last week, sometimes because of the different things that we have done, things that have happened to us, things that people do around us, we can't see our way out. We just don't see a different future. We feel stuck, and, and we feel like life is going to always be the same. And what I encourage you, if you know someone who is going through grief or difficult times, is to stay with them. Stay with them. You don't have to speak. You don't have to have the right words. Your presence is what matters in the lives of those who are grieving. And so they make their way back, and you can, you can listen last week. You can read it for yourself. Uh, Naomi comes back, and her, her name Naomi means pleasant, and people start whispering, Naomi's coming back, and her response is, no, 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 you can't call me Naomi anymore. My life is not pleasant. Call me Myra, which means bitter. The Lord has been bitter towards me. I'm now bitter. Life is not going well. Do not call me Naomi. She had left empty, right? She had left thinking this land has nothing. She gets to where she's going. She now has food. She has her husband and her boys. Her life then ends up empty again, and she comes back, and she says, don't call, me, don't call me pleasant. And so the main takeaway from last week that I wanted you to see was no matter where you are today, no matter what your circumstances look like, it doesn't mean that tomorrow or next week or next month or maybe next year can't look different. You may be hopeless today. You may not see a way out today, but, but maybe tomorrow hope comes. See, what I would want you to know is hope is here, right? But I know in your situation, maybe you don't feel it or see it, but, but maybe tomorrow. Tomorrow does not have to look like today. And the question really is whether or not we will believe that not only that God is with us, we talk about that a lot around here, that not only that God is with us, but he will get us through it. That he will get us through it. And so we're going to look at Ruth 3, 1 through 8. Uh, Ruth has this need. Ruth is a widow. 
Uh, she's in a foreign land. She's a Moabite in a land, really, that she shouldn't be in. She's going to be perceived and looked at in a certain way, and she has this need, but she needs someone to intervene on her behalf. Because of the culture, she really has no voice. She has no power. Uh, she is going to be overlooked, and so she needs someone to intervene. One of my favorite things when my kids were little was their need for me, right? I, I loved that. I loved when my kids said, I can't do it. You hit that phase if you've had little kids where they're like, I'll do it. I'll do it. You're like, I know you can't do it, but I'll let you try. But at some point, they get to a point where they say, Daddy, help me, right? Because they realize someone has to intervene. And this is where Ruth finds herself. She's going to do what she can, but, but she needs someone to intervene. And so she's in the field. She's gleaning. She's trying to pick up the pieces that are left for her. Uh, I said this last week. This would have been set up by God. This is a way for God to take care of the poor. This is a way for God to take care of the widow. He told people who had land, uh, don't go a second time. Uh, don't go and pick up everything you possibly can. Uh, don't cut the edges of your field. Let, let those who need come in and get what they need. This was about justice. This was about taking care of those who are poor or needy. Uh, this was God's way of, of helping them. And so this is what Ruth does. She comes in. She realizes this is what God has set up. And she sees that God right here is taking care of her. And she finds herself in the field of Boaz. Uh, we learned last week that Boaz is actually a part of an extended family and gets the name a kinsman redeemer. Okay, chapter 3. Sorry, I just wanted to catch you up in case you weren't here. Uh, chapter 3, if you don't own a Bible, there's a red one around you. Um, we're going to look at Ruth 3. The page number will be on there. I'm going to jump around. Uh, I'll read some scripture. I'll just tell the story in some parts. The scriptures that are most important, uh, I want you to see. So Ruth 3, I'll read verses 1 and 2 here now. It says, one day Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, my daughter, should I not try to find a home for you where you will be well provided for? Is not Boaz, with whose servant girls you have been, a kinsman of ours? Isn't he related to us? Tonight he will be winnowing barley on the threshing floor. Wash and perfume yourself and put on your best clothes. Then go down to the threshing floor, but don't let him know you are there until he has finished eating and drinking. Okay, so Naomi, who at one point thought, you will never be able to marry. Now because Ruth has found herself in Boaz's field, Naomi starts to feel a little bit of hope. And now she's playing matchmaker, right? She's like, okay, Ruth, you haven't bathed in a while. I know you haven't really cared about what you look like. Uh, you're stuck in the life of a widow. I told you you won't find anyone. But, but those days, I think, are in the past. The clothes you have worn have signified you are a person of sorrow. And that's okay. But I'm feeling hopeful. Let's change your clothes. Let's put on the best you can. Here's a little perfume. Let's smell good. And I want you to go and be close to Boaz. Naomi puts together this plan. You're going to go and you're going to go to where Boaz is, where he will be sleeping for the night. And so I, I thought about this this week. And I, hopefully you have heard me say that there, as I said earlier, that, that there's no real next steps. If anyone has ever told you, hasn't it been long enough? That's not helpful. It's not true. But I just wonder in those moments, maybe God has encouraged you, maybe he has spoke to you, and, and maybe you have felt it, but you, you still kind of are holding on when maybe God is saying, what if you just begin to, 
to let go a little? What, what if you begin to believe that maybe there is hope? And I think this is what Naomi is speaking to herself, but also to Ruth. Hey, maybe God is doing something. Let's take some steps. Verse 4, he says, she says, uh, when he lies down, note the place where he is lying, then go and uncover his feet and lie down. He will tell you what to do next. I remember when I read this, I thought, that is odd, right? That is kind of a weird, a weird thing to do. And so I did a little bit of, of research of what is happening here. And let me just tell you, uh, in the original hearing of the story, the hearer would have been covering up the ears of the kids. This is a little scandalous. Uh, it doesn't sound like it to us, but in the setting here, uh, what Naomi is encouraging Ruth to do is a little like, okay, uh, Naomi is going for it with, uh, with Ruth. And so uncover his feet uh, and, and something will happen. And people would be thinking as they hear this story, should a Moabite woman from the field really be doing this to an Israelite owner of that field? We see in this story, there's always a questioning of who's who. Do they belong? Do they not belong? Should they be here? Should they not be here? Is there an invitation to them or is there not? And we see this, again, probably the thoughts of the people. And Ruth does what Naomi says. Boaz wakes up and sees someone at the end of his bed and asks who it is. And we see verse 9 says this. I'm your servant, Ruth, she said. Spread the corner of your garment over me, since you are a kinsman redeemer. The word servant she uses here is different than she has earlier in chapter 2 when she calls herself a servant. Now she's using a term that, that signifies that there is a relationship between Ruth and Boaz. Ruth was given this instruction by Naomi to just listen to whatever Boaz says. However, Ruth begins to go off script here. And she says, spread your garment over me. Put yourself over me. This is not in a sexual way at all. Uh, actually, this goes back to Ruth chapter 2. Uh, Ruth chapter 2, Boaz says to Ruth these words. May the Lord repay you for what you have done. Boaz hears about the heart of Ruth. That when Ruth could have only cared for herself, Ruth cared for her mother-in-law. And Boaz says, may the Lord repay you for what you have done. May you be richly rewarded by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Boaz says, you have found the one who will take care of you. You have found the one who will make sure you are secure and have what you need. And Ruth uses the same language here. The wings of God have shielded me, have covered me. And then Ruth says, would your garment cover me? And I think what Ruth is saying here is, what you are asking God to do for me, Boaz, what you are praying for, maybe you are the answer to that prayer. Maybe, Boaz, the thing you're asking God to do, God wants to use you. I think for us, a lot of times, we pray for people in their situations. We, we pray that, God, would you come through for them? Would you provide for them what they need? Would you help them get a job? Would you, whatever that might be. And then I wonder how often God begins to speak to us. Maybe God begins to nudge us and 
urge us to say, maybe God wants to use me to help answer that prayer. Maybe God is going to answer it, and he's going to use someone, and maybe the invitation is to use us. I think that's what's happening here. Ruth believes that God is her refuge, but I think also Ruth believes that Boaz has been put in this position for a reason by God and asks, would you cover me with your garment? Verse 10. This will make more sense in a moment. Verse 10. It says, the Lord bless you, my daughter, he replied. This kindness is greater than that which you showed earlier. You have not run after the younger men, which whether rich or poor, and now, my daughter, don't be afraid. I will do for you all you ask. All my fellow townsmen know that you are a woman of noble character. So what Ruth is saying is, would you, would you take me in? Would you marry me? Would you provide for me? See, that is what we believe that God will do for us. If you're new to this idea of, of God and what he wants to do, we, we have this faith that says, God, you will give me what I need. You will provide for me. And Ruth believes that God is doing that. And so he's in, she's inviting Boaz to play that part. And so the uncovering of his feet is her saying, I'm available. The spreading his garment over her is saying, by doing that, you're saying that you will provide and take care of me. And so at this point, uh, Ruth is probably planning her wedding. She's decide, deciding the venue and the decorations. <laughs> she's ready to go forward with a wedding. But that isn't what is going to happen. Boaz says, I'm I'm willing, but there's actually someone else. There's a younger kinsman redeemer, meaning there is someone who has the responsibility to take care of you. The kinsman redeemer would have been a male family member who had the responsibility to see a need and then to do something about it. Uh, And what they would mainly do is they would purchase the land to keep it in the family. And so Boaz says, I am willing, I am able, but we have to do what is right. I've said this before a few few months ago. Um, Sometimes the right thing is not always the easy thing. And so it would have been easier for Boaz just to say, I'm in. I'll do it. I think that's what God is calling us to, but I want to obey God. Obeying God now is more important than me doing what I want to do or what I think is is best. And so he says, I'm going to check with the other kinsman redeemer. But here's more barley. Here's more food. Take this back to Naomi. Naomi came back empty-handed. She has been hopeless. Let her know that hope is here. Uh, Ruth, take this back. And so a reminder to them and a reminder to us especially when we feel like God is far from us, is that he is with us, he is for us, and he is working on our behalf. And oftentimes we don't see it or know it. And so the curtain closes again. Chapter three, curtain closes, scene three. They're not sure what the future looks like. Naomi and Ruth once again are waiting. And so what we see so far is that God has been at work in Ruth's good and the blessing of others through her since she came into Naomi's life. When what others saw as Naomi's boys marrying those they shouldn't have, God was at work. God was eliminating boundaries. He was erasing 
lines. And so I want you to understand that your life can be a blessing to others, even when you don't think it can or you don't believe it. That God is at work in you and through you. That your life isn't an accident, that you're not a mistake, that you are created in the image of God, and you have a purpose. And so Ruth didn't grow up in the right zip code or have the right biological parents. She didn't have the right education or income. But what she did have was a willingness to obey God. A willingness to hear from God when there were other voices speaking. There were other gods that her neighbors were following. There were other ideas that people were believing in. But there was something happening in Ruth's life where she believed she could be faithful to God and God would be faithful to her. My own story, and I don't know if you deal with this at times, is just this wonder of what you're doing matters. Right? Am I doing the right thing? Am I... And, and I've dealt with this, but in my past, I always wondered, am I, am I good enough for that? Am I good enough to do that? Do I have the right heritage? Do I have the right family? I didn't grow up in the right church or in church at all. Can I, can I really do that? And so I just wonder for Ruth if she ever hit that point where she was like, can this really happen? Can myself, a Moabite, really provide for this woman who many think I shouldn't even be close to? God, could you really use me to bring hope to Naomi? And we see that God does way more than just use her for Naomi, but she is used for a lot of other things. Chapter 4. Boaz finds the young kinsman redeemer. He's waiting. Uh, Boaz is waiting for him. Uh, when he finds him, he says, look, uh, I know of this situation. You're up. It's your opportunity. There's some land if you want to purchase it. You can have that. And the young kinsman redeemer says, sure, I'll buy a piece of land. And then Boaz says, okay, but just know that with the land comes some other things. Uh, you, you also get Ruth, a widow, and there's these things that are happening. Uh, that's now your responsibility. And the young kinsman redeemer says, oh, you, you take it. Uh, you can have it. You can have the land and you can take care of this widow woman. See, this is what I think happens uh, for the young kinsman redeemer is that the cost was just too much. The sacrifice was too great. Not only does he have to pay for the land, but he's going to have to provide for Ruth forever. If they have kids, then the inheritance is split uh, even more. And so for him, the cost was too great. But Boaz, Boaz is willing to pay the price. Let me just ruin the story before I get to the end. Uh, was that a all oh, man boaz sees the cost and pays it to redeem ruth boaz is willing to do it boaz embodies the lord's redemption of all people boaz is a picture of jesus boaz says i'll pay the price whatever it is i'm good for it jesus says i'm willing to pay the price I'm willing because you belong to me. Listen to this in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. Paul, who was a, a follower of Jesus after his own story of, of hating Christians, becomes one, plants churches, encourages them. Uh, he writes this to a group of Christians, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 through 21. says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. All this is from God who reconciled us, who made things right, who reconciled us 
to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world. God is reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We, therefore, are Christ's ambassadors, as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. God made him who had no sin, Jesus, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Ruth needed someone to intervene. And Boaz says, I'll do it. I'll pay the price for you, Ruth. I'll pay the price for you, Naomi. I will take care of you. And Ruth is the perfect example of an individual who would have been seen as an outsider. Outside the right group, she wasn't a Jewish woman. She was a widow. But she becomes a member of the people of God. She does nothing but makes herself available. She's just there and says, would you, would you take me in, Boaz? And Boaz does it. This is the story of Jesus. It's a story of Jesus hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus comes. It is a picture and something that is pointing to what God does for us through Jesus. So one of the dominant themes of the book of Ruth is this Gentile inclusion. So Gentiles and Jews, if you weren't Jewish, you were a Gentile. And there was this belief that there was this separation between the two. And the book of Ruth is a Gentile inclusion into the people of God. It is a story of Ruth, but it is our story. It is the story of humanity. That God was pointing to the fact that the grace he was offering was not for a certain group of people. Not from one city or region or country. Not for a certain gender or income level. Not just for the right people that happen to be born in the right zip code. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is for us all. For every person that you come in contact with, every person you look at, the gospel is for them, just like it is for you. Uh, Kanye West, I'm going to guess that you know, uh, I'm going to make an assumption that you know who Kanye is. Um, He's had a life change. I don't know if you know this, um, but there's been some things that have been happening in Kanye's life. Here's a picture of, of Kanye. He started these uh, things he called Sunday night service. It was an opportunity for music. And he'd have someone teach. And Kanye is beginning to figure out who Jesus is. Listen to this in an interview um, just recently. Um, It was a focused interview on his newfound devotion to Christian faith. This is what he says. He says, I love Jesus, and I love Christianity. The rapper said that he was inspired to create his Sunday services and his new album, Jesus is King, after he let Jesus take the wheel. That's so funny to me. Uh, Following his (laughs) breakdown reference and his bipolar diagnosis and public backlash. He continued, I didn't even know what it meant to be saved. West also said he would rather follow Christ than cultural norms. Who designed the culture? What does it mean to do it for the culture? That's why I do it for Christ, he said. This is an unbelievable thing, but you know what's happening? It doesn't take long to read, and people begin to think, ah, it's not real. That's not real. Kanye's doing this for money. 
He's doing this for attention. And, and these aren't just some people. These are followers of Jesus who are saying this. And, and here's the problem with that. Here's the problem with that. Is we are, as followers of Jesus, really quick to say that the grace is for everyone. We're really quick to believe that God's grace changes lives. We are really quick to believe that God has done it for us and that he can do it for anyone. But then we hear someone like this and we're like, nah, it's not real. It's not true. And what happens is we become a defender and someone who thinks we have to hold on to a keeper of God's grace. We think in times we are the ones who get to say, oh, that's real or not real. Oh, the grace is for them. I don't know if it's for them. But what the invitation to us is not to be a defender, but a dispenser of God's grace. The idea is that we hope that everyone experiences. And we're going to rejoice because something is happening in his life. And it's not my responsibility or your responsibility or some person online to decide if God is really doing something in Kanye's life. And so this is what's happening for Ruth. The wrong woman is being invited in to a group of people that that would have never happened to. But listen to the response. We're going to skip to chapter 4, 11, and 12. Boaz hears word. He's the one who is going to be the kinsman redeemer, and here's the response. It says, Then the elders, those who are high up in this community, and those at the gate said, We are witnesses to what is going to happen. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman. May your family be like that of Perez, who Tamar born bore to Judah. This is so significant. Uh, if we don't look deeper here, we would miss it. These are the elders who would have told them have nothing to do with that woman. But something is happening in their own hearts. They're experiencing the grace of God, I believe, through the work of Boaz. Boaz, you're going to take this Moabite woman in? You know that's going to affect your future, right? It's going to affect your money, your time. You're willing to do that? It's my responsibility. I'm going to do it. And I think there's something happening. And so the blessing on them is through Ruth, through this Moabite woman, would our heritage grow? Would you have many children? And so this is extremely significant, but I, can I just tell you, Ruth sees the happy ending to her story here. We don't always see that. Or we don't always see it as quick as we want to see it. And that's our hope for heaven. Can I just tell you that? One of the problems with not problems, but one of the reasons we grieve so much, one of the problems we struggle so much is because we long for something different. In you, whether you believe in God and wonder what, 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 what Christianity is about, there is something in all of us, I believe, that longs for something more. We long for peace and we long for justice and we long for healing. That is in all of us. And so we don't always experience that on this side of heaven. I wish we all did, but we don't. When you lose someone and you grieve, the hope of heaven is a reconnection with that person. Right? We're longing for that. We're longing for everything to be okay. And we see here that Ruth's story 
in this moment, sees a happy ending. And this is what happens. Jesus comes from the line of Ruth. Well, we talked about the genealogy, and we talked about how Rahab, the prostitute, is in the family tree of Jesus. Scandalous. I'm sure at some point someone thought, should we remove her from the story? But it is a picture of how everyone is invited. And Rahab is in the family tree. But we see it with Ruth too. A Moabite woman. A widow. A woman destined for poverty. A woman who also believes that life could look different. And because of the Lord's faithfulness to Naomi and Ruth and even Boaz, the world will be given the Messiah through their family tree. We see that Jesse is born in this line, who King David, one of the greatest kings, comes from this line, and Jesus comes from it as well. Once again, it's just a picture that we are all invited. There are no outsiders to the grace of God. And so just a couple of thoughts, and we're going to move to a time of, of communion. A couple of thoughts. When you call yourself a follower of Jesus, and the invitation to follow Jesus is an invitation to trust God. It's really what it is. It's an invitation to put your trust not in yourself and not in a person, but in God. And so in moments of despair, in moments of not being able to see the future, what, what does it look like for us to begin to say, God, I don't know, but I'm going to trust you. I don't know what tomorrow looks like. I don't know what next week looks like. I don't know what my marriage is going to look like. I don't know about a job. I don't know about my finances. Lord, I'm going to trust you. And then the invitation of being a follower of Jesus is an invitation to obedience. Our obedience of doing what God wants us to do pleases him. Boaz obeys. Boaz does what he is supposed to do. Ruth obeys. Ruth stands next to Naomi and follows the invitation to join Boaz. There is an obedience to God. And then when we reflect his character, when we begin to look more and more like Jesus in the way we treat people and love people and make our choices, when we reflect his character through our interaction with others, we bring glory to him. There is something that happens. Look, there was something that happened when Boaz said yes to Ruth. Culturally, there was something that happened. And something happens in the lives of others when we reflect God's character. And then one final thought. Greg, you can go ahead and, and move uh, up this way. One final thought as it leads us to communion. I think the story of Ruth has a lot to teach us regarding relationships with those who don't look like us. Specifically, racially, culturally, those who aren't from here. Paul, as I talked about earlier, he writes a letter to a church in Galatia with a clear call to unity and welcoming the outsider. He calls us as a church to offer equal treatment to those of the broader community, country, or world that other people have often despised or treated as outsiders. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the real cure, I believe. My belief. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the real cure for racism and bigotry and classism and division and hate, judgmental attitudes. The gospel, the good news of Jesus, is the cure for that. 
It's a teaching that because of Christ, all are equal, all are accepted, and all are loved. And this must penetrate the hearts and the minds of those specifically who follow Jesus. Christians have to stand up against the things that would push people away. We must be for a love that says, you're pushed to the edges, let me join you there. You find yourself as an outsider, let me welcome you in. And the reason I think that is so important as we take, receive communion today is because the invitation to come to the table, the invitation to remember the grace of God is available to all of us. As we walk down an aisle to the front or the back and we receive the elements and we stand with people who are different than us, the gift of grace for me is exactly the same as the person behind me. It's a reminder that the church is together. It's a reminder that we are called to be unified. Not just the church trinity, but the church as a whole. There is no division. There is no room for racism. There is no room for bigotry or hate for anybody, but certainly for followers of Jesus. And so in the last moments of Jesus' time with his disciples, he participated in what we're about to do called the Lord's Supper or the Last Supper. It is here that Jesus is pointing to what he is doing for each one of them and really to us. He says, he took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. He's sitting with some people who are trying to figure out what it means to follow Jesus. Jesus knows he's about to go to a cross and he says, look, you need healing, you need hope. I'm about to do something that's going to provide that for you. Eat this bread and be reminded of what I am doing for you. In the same way, after the supper, he took the cup and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. There is hope because of what I am about to do for you. There is a covenant that I will save you and redeem you and rescue you. Take this cup and remember this. And I like to point out that Jesus is offering this to an interesting group of people. He's offering it to the one who is going to betray him, to turn him in. He's offering it to one who is going to deny that he was ever with Jesus. He's offering it to those who will walk away in the moment, those who are indifferent. Jesus knows the heart of all of these men, and he says, this is for you. This is for you. And just like it was for them, it is for us as well. <clears throat> this is a gift that is offered. So no matter where you are or what you've done, God is for you. God's love and grace is for you. A different kind of future is available for you. And so as we receive this today, as we receive the the bread, and we receive the cup, would you be reminded of that grace? Would you be reminded to what God has given to you? And as you take it, and you eat it, and you drink it, may it go down deep into your heart, into your mind, and into your soul. May it be a catalyst for you to love others as well.